morning, everyone. I'm Trevor. Um, I don't ever normally ever speak um, for longer than about three minutes. No, no, no. I will speak for three minutes as a comment. I've never been given the whole floor. So, true. I, I only have not this far. Everything back there is on you guys. Um, exactly. Vulnerability is... Um, what I'm working on today, and this has been my exercise uh, prescribed by my therapist. No, I'm joking. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So, a little, little thought thinker for you guys is, what is something that you know you are uniquely known for? What is something that, if I think of Eric, what do I think of? What do you got? Ooh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He's that guy. When you need to know what guy, he's that guy. Um, Rachel, when, when people think of you, what do they think of? Cringe, got it. Um, I, I wrote down a few of the things that when people have called me, Trevor specifically, I needed to ask you something. You're the guy for this job. How do I need to pour this beer? <laughs> Seriously, my, my sister calls me the other day. Her and her husband are arguing on how to pour a beer. And I'm like, well, there are some thoughts, um, some faiths that believe that you do the slow angle pour to minimize um, too much foam. And then I'm currently in the camp of vigorous pouring, get all the carbonation out of the way so it's out of my belly. My sister was not thrilled. Vigorous pouring, that's the thing, yep. Um, my, my best friend, he calls me, Trevor, what are the rules to this board game? He will not read the rules to any board game, he relies on me to do that. Um, yes, yes. Some games, not all the games, some games. Um, in, the in the past, in, 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 in past identities I have possessed, um, Fellow people who live in the suburbs have said, Trevor, I'm going into Portland. I know you've spent time in Portland. Where should I go? I'm like, I've been to five places. I'll give you those five. That's it. And now all those places are closed, so I don't even have that repertoire of knowledge. Um, I used to do a lot of theater, and so some people would ask me, like, hey, Trevor, I'm going to go see this play. Is it any good? And I'd be like, I don't know. I only know what I've been in. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of plays. Um, uh, I was homeschooled, so some people have been like, Trevor, we love you. Should I homeschool my kid? Will they turn out like you? I'd be like, maybe. Make sure, just you know, keep coming back to me for that one, because um, it's an ever-evolving progress on um, my opinion. Um, <laughs> so uh, has anybody taken the Enneagram? Because I finally did. Yeah. I'm apparently a six, whatever that means. Um, I'm a six, yeah, I'm a six, which really explained so much about me um, because I, I like to uh, lock in. I need to lock in who I am with a lot of knowledge and a lot of proof. So if I want the projected identity of me out there, I need to make sure there's backing for it. So if somebody introduces me and says, hey, this is Trevor, um, he's an actor. They're like, I haven't acted in 10 years, that can't be, no, 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 no. Panic anxiety sets in, 
There is no evidence for this statement. Stop saying that. Um, this is Trevor. He has a beard. Oh, yeah, this is true. Yes, I can stand behind this statement. That can be part of my identity. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The data is present. Um, so basically, um, when it comes to identity, I, I get really anxious if a perceived identity slips in for me and I don't feel like there's any proof. So if somebody observing me puts something on me, gives me an identity, I'm like, um, this hasn't been vetted, so no. No, 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 no. This needs to go through a proper vetting process um, and I need to have uh, uh, data surrounding this to make it true or it's a lie. So no, that cannot be who I am. Um, so my whole teens, 20s and everything, I've gone through all these different phases of identity. Uh, I had the identity of being involved in theater. Um, it was great because I got to say I'm artistic. It was really nice. I got to, I got to put that badge on me. Um, I got to put the badge on that I'm a cool dude who works at Dutch Bros. That used to be me. Um, it was real nice. I got to put the badge on, ooh, this was a great one. I used to work for um, Washington County Juvenile Department. My job was taking kids to do their community service. And I really enjoyed that. And so when I was single, I could use that as a pickup line of like, I work with kids, um, troubled teens, it's a real passion of mine. Um, worked sometimes. It worked with, well, no, Brie came in after that though. That, that season had already passed. So I didn't need that, apparently. Apparently I'm okay as who I am. And that's the sermon, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a little bit of history on the shattering of my identity and what that has taught me. So back in um, 2014, I was involved in all these identities. I was working juvenile department, which was great because I felt like that was a little bit in vain, in, not in vain, in the uh, realm of maybe calling or passion. Um, I got to work at Dutch Bros, which was cool because mentally everyone there exists in about 17 to 22 is the age range. Doesn't matter how old you actually are, that is the age of your behavior. Um, so when you're 28 working at Dutch Bros, and I worked there till about 30, I had to have some real assessments because I'm like, I don't like how I'm acting. And then I realized that I'm spending five days a week with 18-year-olds. And there's nothing wrong with those 18-year-olds, but I found myself mimicking things that I should have emotionally graduated for. Um, but in 2014, I was all in it. I was fully embracing my existence as a full-fledged Dutch Bros employee. Um, and all the energy that came with it, pounding double shots of espresso, listening to punk music, and just screaming my, at, at everyone. That's actually what we do there. We scream at everyone. Um, and then I was also working for a, a murder mystery uh, group that put on murder mystery theater, and I absolutely was thriving in all of these things. I had all these identities, I had these subgroups. Don't mix the subgroups, by the way, uh, because that identity that you are very, passionate about, and these people over here don't know about it, and they collide, my anxiety spikes again. Still figuring out who I am. But anyway, I was doing really great there. 
And then I made a drastic mistake, which was I was drinking, got behind the wheel, and wrecked my car against the curb, and went through the process of getting a DUI. And it sucked. And it was really hard as the things that I associated myself with um, got taken away. I couldn't work for the juvenile department anymore. They couldn't employ me to drive a van. So that was gone. Um, I couldn't make commitments for the theater group I was in. So that was also just out the window. Couldn't do that anymore. Uh, and so I just had to go full-time working at the coffee shop and go through the whole diversion process. And that was one of the hardest times of my life. It was super hard because I had made a network of these identities that I could gain my security and who I am from. I could put them in front of me so you don't have to see the real me. Um, it was really nice. And then it was torn away. Um, what am I saying about this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the hardest things, too, was going through that process and having to reassure myself, what is, who, who am I? Um, because you, when you go through that process, you're given another identity. Um, if, you know, if you get a DUI, you're an alcoholic. Um, and I had to address that. I had to address whether or not that was true of me. Um, and I had to, going through the process of how my brain works, which is I need the outside reassurances of is this true or not. And I'm just very blessed that the um, gentleman who was in charge of uh, the, what's it called, the therapy they make you go through for that. Um, he was really good at walking me through that in the way my brain could grapple with what the actual truth is in relation to the event. But that was a struggle. I mean, everything got flipped on me. Uh, so then who am I? Who do I want to be? Who can I even be? Was a real big question. I mean, it doesn't matter who I want to be. I mean, can I? Could I possibly ever in some day be who I was hoping to be. Um, yeah, so I'm going to terribly segue this into, um, we're gonna come back to this resolution, but um, I wanted to explore the assault of identity and how Jesus dealt with it. Um, in Luke 3, I'll just read it from the message. Uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people. That was his namesake. He was doing that. And Jesus arrived. Um, and after all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized. And as he was praying, the sky opened up, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended and came down on him. And along with the Spirit, a voice, You are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. Identity. Jesus already, like we see in the scriptures, Jesus was fully accepting of his identity. He knew who he was as a child. Um, but in this moment of baptism, it is confirmed by God aloud in front of people. 
which is pretty awesome. We don't always get that. We don't always get the public affirmation of who we are and our mission and how these all tie together. And Jesus was given this thing. It was really awesome. Uh, but on the flip side, in the next chapter, Jesus had this challenged. Um, so Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command the stone to turn into a loaf of bread. I mean, it falls in line with the identity, like you're God's son, take care of this. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. It takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours. Jesus refused again. Back in his refusal with Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God only. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem, put him on top of the temple, and he said, if you are God's son, jump. It is written, isn't it, that he has placed you in care of the angels to protect you. They will catch you, and you won't stub your toe on a stone. So the first two tests, Jesus reverts to the scripture to back his identity, to back up who he is. And Satan is not afraid to use the scripture too. He's not afraid to, to twist it into his ways. And yet Jesus, securing his identity, securing what he knows to be true to the core of who he is, not phased. So in this moment in which Jesus is at his weakest physically, it does not detour who his identity is because he has the scripture to back up the truth. And I was meditating on that in relationship with my wrestling with identity and who do I want to be. And realizing that I wasn't using a lot of scripture to back up who I want to be. Not, no, I'm using these outside, secular, easy, easy, the low-hanging fruit. What am I already inclined to do? Okay, that's who I am. It's great. It's easy. No pushback until it's gone. And then there's a lot of pushback. And then there's a lot of wrestling because it was fragile, you know, and moving forward, Jesus shows us that all throughout his ministry, whenever his identity was challenged, he was consistent. He was consistent in using the scripture to back up who he is. Um, in Matthew, um, I actually really love this story. One Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain. Ripe grain. It was a really nice, peaceful day in the, in the grain fields. Hungry, the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. Some Pharisees reported to them, uh, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the rules. And Jesus said, Really? Don't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? How they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar? Bread that no one but the priests were allowed to eat? And didn't you ever read God's law? 
that priests carrying out the temple duties break the Sabbath rules all the time and it's not held against them? And, I, and I'm gleaning a lot of inflection in here of you guys know this. Um, there is far more at stake. There is far more at stake here than religion. If you had any idea what this scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. You wouldn't be nitpicking like this. The Son of Man is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. When Jesus left the field, he entered their meeting place. There was a man there with a crippled hand, and they said to Jesus, Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? And they were baiting him. He replied, Is there a person here who, finding one of your lambs fallen into a ravine, wouldn't even, though it was a Sabbath, pull it out. Surely kindness to people is as legal as kindness to animals. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And he held it out and it was healed. And the Pharisees walked out furious and mumbling and whatever. And they're going to do something about it. Who knows what they were going to do. Um, but during this, this time of Jesus executing his ministry, living it, not just being prepared, but he's in it. He is being the example. He is the kingdom come. There's, the, there's perpetual baiting of, is your identity strong? Are you who you say you are? Are you even a teacher worthy to be teaching if your disciples are behaving like this? And Jesus rooted in scripture and firm anchoring in who he really is in his relationship with God is not swayed responds with confidence with the authority he has been given. And, and I think that's the example for me. As I struggle with who do I want to be? How do I want people to see me? When you look at me, what do I want the thoughts to be that go through your head? You know, what, it, it's easy to say to fall into a group, to fall into a subcategory of well, okay, I am a bearded male in the suburbs. I'm um, a little bit huskier. Um, I enjoy uh, uh, fine coffee and um, expensive beer. Um, okay, cool, there's a whole vast subcategory I could slip right into and no one would blink. But is that who God has made me to be? Is that my part in the body of Christ, or is that my part in the world? And am I being conscious of that? Am I being aware? Am I testing myself against the scripture to see, am I being who God made me to be? Um, I have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Um, to overanalyze things to death, to beat them within an inch of their existence, and then make no decision. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be very aware of that. And so as I continue on in life, and as I continue on asking questions about who I am, who do I want to be, as the world keeps changing around me, how am I supposed to even react to this? And I find that still small voice in my head trying to filter my reactions based upon who I am in this, in this world. Not who I am in Christ, but who I am in this world. It's easy to stay silent 
with who I am. Um, with the expectations maybe placed on me, it's easy to just see something happening, I'm gonna look over here. Um, it's easy to maybe watch a documentary, watch a thought-provoking movie that kind of pushes on the norm and it kind of maybe triggers some things in the back of my mind that I know, yeah, these line up with scripture, but they don't really fit in with the society I am in. So I'm going to look over here and sweat a little bit and just not look directly at the glaring, glaring atrocities happening in the world. I'm going to look up here, look at my shoes. I'm not wearing any crap that didn't work. But in Romans... In this way, we are, we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us find our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelous functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. And I think, well, I know for myself, it's very easy for me to be hmm, not who I'm meant to be as a child of Christ, but who I am pressured to be as a person in a broken world. Um, being ignorant, being selfish, um, being self-centered on me, myself, and those who are in my immediate vicinity and nothing more. Um, and I don't see evidence of that being who I'm called to be as a follower of Christ, being a part of God's body, being a functioning member, thriving with full authority of Christ behind me. That only works if I'm part of his body and caring about people as he cared about all, not Actually, he made a point to care about those who were least cared for. He made a point to love those who were least loved, especially by society's standards, and yet I have the strongest urge to ignore that so I can preserve my worldly identity, so I can preserve the security in the comfort of comfort. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to be touched. Just let me be in my little corner where I can play some video games. That would be real, real nice. Um, but yet, and I, I'm going to say this has been a great, great thing about coming to this church and being part of this church family, has been the every week being pushed out of that. Every week being encouraged to explore not what is comfortable, but to explore and accept and embrace that which is uncomfortable that which is loving people no matter what, which is letting go of the anxiety of the difference that I might be, that I might rub up against that isn't comfortable. Um, and I want to encourage all of you to just listen to God as he challenges all of our identities. Um, I know for me and who I am, it's, a lot more in my face um, just because I can't stop thinking about it and I can't turn it off. And for some people, it's, it's not as apparent, it's not as obvious in their lives, but 
still it should be a question I feel that we should be asking. Are we aligning our identities, what we project out there into the world with who Christ has called us to be as a functioning part of his family and a part of the body of Christ? And I will pray that over you. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this life I've had of lessons unrelenting. Thank you for the moments in which you have caused me to stop where I am so that you can speak to me. And I'm thankful that I'm able to survive that. Thank you for this family of believers who have perpetually been encouraging me, who have been a blessing, unrelenting, in pursuing who you've called us to be. And I ask, Lord, that we be aware, that we take the blinders off of comfort. We look for the opportunities that are presented to us to serve, to love, to care for. No matter the cost, no, ma no matter the comfort, may we reach out of the bubbles that we've constructed, that we've held on to, and pull people into your love, and even if they're not in the most obvious ways. For your ways are above ours, Lord. And they are definitely outside of our comfort zone. May we embrace that and accept that with excitement. Amen. As Trevor... Um, as Trevor was talking, um, it reminded me of a piece that I wrote, um, gosh, probably 10 years ago, about this very thing, about identity, and it was called What's in a Name? And uh, I started it by saying I didn't have a name, officially speaking, until I was seven years old when it was legally changed from unnamed female Bailey to Nancy Jane. Um, and then I went on along to talk about the identities that we either put on ourselves or others place on us and how sometimes by trying to get out of those identities that we're not really fond of, we end up adding more and just heaping more and ickier names upon ourselves. And then realizing that God knows who we are. God created us with a very unique purpose, each of us, with, um, with an identity that is, is not determined by what is happening around us. It's not determined by what we do, what we do for him or for others. It is simply as his child. And I realized that in the Greek, my name means, means grace, um, my given name, Nancy. And it also reminded me of a scripture um, that is kind of one of my life verses, and it's in Isaiah 43. And it says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So that is our name. Our name is, is that we are called and chosen and claimed by God as his own. We are his. That is one of our names, and that is one of the most important names we can ever cling to is that identity that is given to us by Christ. And uh, thanks, Trevor, for sharing this journey with us.
And for me, it's, and I'm guessing for all of you too, maybe, that it's a lifelong process of discovering and then rediscovering and forgetting who we are and then discovering again as God reveals himself and us in his eyes. And I just want to thank again Trevor for um, being vulnerable with us. And uh, yeah, let's continue the service. such a great thing to kind of simmer with this week, the idea of identity. And uh, I think many times we're asked to externalize identity, and it's a thing you drive, or it's a job you have, or it's a person you date, or it's a, you know, it's this external thing. I think the challenge is, and getting down to what Trevor was digging at, is you in and of yourself, you as a, as a person, as a child of God, that is your identity, and it doesn't need to be more than that, you know? It doesn't have to be this layer of things that can be carefully analyzed and picked apart by some outside entity that can potentially produce, you know, insecurities and all this stuff. So much uh, kind of pain comes out of that process, but just know that you're loved today and that you are you're worth something just in and of yourself. Um, so let's let's dig on that today. Just really appreciate what you had to say, Trevor and Nancy. So.